All right, well, grab your Bible. Let's turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Through time our study together, as always, we just want to be encouraged by the Word of God as the preaching of the God's Word is the highlight of what we do. It's the kind of the centerpiece or the climax of, of all that we do in our time of worship is be able to hear from the Lord. And so my job is simply to open up Scripture and to explain it to you and then hold you accountable to what it has to say. And, and always the Word of God has a way to convict our hearts. It has a way to cleanse our hearts. It also has a way to comfort our hearts, and in some mysterious way through the Holy Spirit, I pray that all of that can happen. And this morning, uh, I'm just going to tell you up front, we're going to do a serious deep dive. I didn't preach last week, so I feel like I got a whole lot to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to condense it down for us. But uh, we're just going to go straight into it, and we're going to stay there, and then all of a sudden, we're going to be having communion together. Okay, so we just, I just need a solid 30 from you guys of a deep dive into 1 Peter 4.8 this morning. And then we'll, we'll kind of come out of it, have communion together, time of, of, of remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we'll sing a song together, and we'll offer it all to the Lord. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-11. Let's just start by reading it. It says this, 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards, of good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This passage of scripture here is about the Christian's responsibility to live in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Peter starts out this section with the priority of prayer. He goes into the pursuit of love, the practice of hospitality, the participation of service for the purpose of of glorifying God. What Peter wants us to do is to exercise these Christian duties knowing that Jesus Christ could return at any time. Peter wants our eyes heavenward, not horizontal. He wants our eyes on the Messiah and not on material things. He wants our gaze upon the Savior and not on our situation. He wants us to think about the advent and not our anxiety. One person said it like this, expectant looking is the antidote for apathetic living. Expectant looking is the antidote for anxious living. So if you're in one of those categories where you're just kind of blah on Christianity, the way to get out of that is to expectantly look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you're living in anxiety, what do you do? You look back to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then Peter says this, the end of all things is at hand. That's how he starts out. He says this, therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He puts a priority on prayer. We talked about this two weeks ago, the priority of prayer. Now, this must be the thing that guides and governs your life every day is that you prioritize prayer in your life. Everything starts with prayer. Prayer is the gas line that fuels obedience in the Christian life. 
Prayer is the gas line that fuels obedience in the Christian life. And if Satan cuts the gas line of prayer in your life, you will shrivel up. Your soul will shrivel up and you will have zero effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Everything starts with the priority of prayer. And he tells us how we're to do that. We're to have prayer that is self-controlled and sober-minded. So we have a priority of prayer. We have the lens of Jesus Christ returning. And now, now Peter gives us three ways by which we're to live the Christian life. These are the Christian duties, three Christian duties. And listen, church, this is how, this is how you have an effective Christian life. This is how you're effective for the glory of God in the life that you live. He simplifies it down. Just three things, church, just three things. Wrap your mind around these three things. Wrap your life around these three things, and you will find yourself being a very effective Christian in the midst of difficulty and hostility and persecution. You ready for him? Number one is this, love one another. Love one another. Number two is this, show hospitality to one another. And number three is this, serve one another. Those three things, love one another, show hospitality to one another, and serve one another. This morning, we're just going to take a look at the first one, love one another, because it is so deep, it is so rich, and I just couldn't get myself to get to the second one, so we're just going to do it next week. So love one another. Verse 8, that's all we're going to look at this morning. And I want to give you this, three aspects of agape love, because that's the word that is used here, agape love. Let me give you three aspects of agape love. Number one is this. If you're going to love one another, you need to understand this about love, that agape love is first. It is first. Look what it says, above all. It starts here with this phrase, above all, reminding us this, of the primacy of love, among God's people, the primacy of love among God's people, it is this, the, the Christian virtue that stands out above every other Christian virtue. It is above every other virtue. This attribute, this virtue of love identifies who God's people are. It sets the believer apart from the world. Meaning this, if you're a Christian, you love other people. It's an oxymoron to say, I love Jesus Christ, but I don't love people. You can't say that. To be a Christian is to love. To be a Christian means that you love others because you understand the love of Christ that has been poured out into your own life. And he says, above all, reminding us of the primacy of it. This is first in your life. This is the first thing you need to understand. God loved you, now you love others. What does this word love or agape mean? And I'm using the word agape here kind of as a descriptive word. And I understand in the Greek it's the, it is the word for love. But just for clarity, I'm going to say agape love kind of as a descriptive word, as an adjective. But Write these things down as we understand what Peter is asking us to do, how to keep loving one another. He says this, it means this, agape love means this. It is a love of choice, the love of serving with humility. This agape love, listen, it's the highest kind of love. 
the noblest kind of devotion. Agape love does not depend on the world's criteria for love. Agape love doesn't say, hey, I wonder what the world says about love so I can take what the world says about love and start showing love to other people. No, agape love has its own definition, its own biblical definition. And agape love denies self for the benefit of the object love. Agape love is a love that is willing to sacrifice oneself for the benefit of another. Agape love is long-suffering or is patient with one another. Agape love simply treats others kindly. Agape love rejoices in the good of another, and there's no room for envy in the heart. You can't say, oh, I have a deep love for you, but harbor in your heart bitterness and envy for that person. That's not love at all. That's envy. That's bitterness. I love this. When we think about it this way in regards to God, it is this. Agape love refers to a love that God is. 1 John 4, 8 and 16. That God shows in John 3, 16 and 1 John 4, 9. And that God enables in his children through the fruit of the Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit, in Galatians 5.22. Agape love is God. Agape love is manifest through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the only way, listen church, the only way that you can show agape love to one another is if God enables you to do so. You can't do it apart from God. You have no capacity within yourself to show this kind of love to one another. You need God in your life to transform your heart so that you're able to show this love to one another. It must come from God. Which means this, you must be born again. You must be born again to show this kind of love to one another. In fact, Peter's already talked about this. If you look back in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, he already talks about this very thing. In verse 22, he says this, having purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth, there it is, for a sincere brotherly love, what are we to do? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why are we to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. What is he saying here? He's saying this, that the natural result of a believer is that they would extend the same love that God showed them to other people. That's the result of a born-again Christian. That's what identifies them. That's what marks them. Believers need, listen, believers need no other reason to love than the fact that they've been loved by God. It's the mark of a believer. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, 
Where is it from? For love is from God. And whoever loves has what? Has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, and God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. Read that again. In this is love. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Your capacity to love church is based on your understanding of God's love for you. You want to grow on your love? Then you need to grow on your understanding of God's love for you. You want to deepen your love for somebody else? Then deepen your love for Christ. Deepen your understanding of Christ's love for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says this. Think of this. Is this you? Think of this. For the love of Christ controls us. Let me just stop right there. The love of Christ controls us. Ask yourself, does the love of Christ control you? Or does something else? Is it bitterness? Hard feelings? The love of Christ controls us. And so, go back to the verse. The love of Christ controls us. And here's the conclusion. Well, why does the love of Christ controls us? Because we've concluded this. That's literally what it says. We've concluded this. That one has died for all. Therefore, all died, and he died for all. That those who might live, no longer live for themselves. No longer live for themselves, but for God, who for their sake died and was raised. What is he saying? He's saying this. The love of Christ controls you because you get it. You understand what Christ has done for you in your life. You understand the love that was poured out from him to you, and that love controls you so much so that you're able now to love someone else. And you love with kindness. You love sacrificially. You love with patience. When you don't want to love, you love. When it's hard to love, you still love. When you're offended and when you're hurt, you know this, that your sins have been forgiven by Christ. You know this, that you don't deserve the love of Christ in your life. And that, that love of Christ that you understand that you don't deserve yourself, you extend to that person that you don't think deserves your love either. And in that way, Christ's love then controls your life defines your life. You're marked by it. You show others the matchless agape love of God through the kind of love that you extend out to others. And this is an entirely different kind of love than the love that the world is teaching you, is it not? You think of worldly love, what, what comes to mind when you think of what the world says love is, what comes to mind? What will others do for me? What's in it for me? How are you showing me love so that I can love you? Oh, you're not going to show me any love? Okay, well, then I'm not going to love you. That, that's the world's kind of love. 
What's in it for me? What, are you meeting my demands? Are you meeting my standard? Are you meeting my needs? What really the world is teaching you is a selfish love. Remember this? You do you. You be you. Really? The wickedness of our hearts are telling us to, to just do us and be us? Just, just live out the, the evil of our hearts in the name of love? That's the world's love. It's a selfish love. It's a conditional love. But when we understand the love of Jesus Christ, we realize this, it's an unconditional love. We love because he first loved us. We love Christ and Christ loves us. And so we love those who are hard to love. Listen to this with Luke chapter 6 verse 32 says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. You are not any different from the world. You are just like the world, only loving those who love you. And we need to understand this, church. Agape love has nothing to do with what is happening to you. It has everything to do with what has happened to you in salvation and is happening to you in our sanctification by the love of Jesus Christ. And so the absence then of agape love in your life means the presence of sin. The absence of agape love in your life means the presence of sin in your life. Why? Because God is love and God reigns in your heart. And if you're not able to show agape love love to other people, then there's some, some sin that is suffocating that love. Because the two can't reign together in the same heart. And so there's difficulty loving, and I understand that there is, and there always will be difficulty loving because we live in a sin-filled world. And I understand that pain is real and the hurt is real, and it's really hard at times to love. What is going on in your heart that is keeping you from loving someone? Is it, again, what are you suppressing it with? What needs to be confessed and be repented of so that you can love again? What pride is there? What bitterness? What envy? What jealousy? What is keeping you from loving like you need to love? What hurt is there that, that needs to come before the Lord? I'm not trying to say it's easy. I'm really not. I'm not trying to make it sound like this is something easy to do because it's not easy to do. In fact, the next point tells us that we need to do this fervently. It's not easy. But this is what God has called us to do. He's called us above everything else to keep loving, to keep loving one another. Leads us to the next point is this. First is agape, agape love is first. And second is this, agape love is fervent. Look what it says, agape love is fervent. What does that mean, fervent? It means this, that means that there is a constant, continual love. It's an intense straining of the muscle. That's what the word in Greek means. It means perseverance, unceasing activity. Every four years, America sits down and watches events that we would never, ever watch if it wasn't for the Olympics. I mean, 
You guys do this with soccer too, right? The World Cup. Every four years, we're the biggest soccer fans. Some of you are always soccer fans. Didn't mean to offend those who actually are soccer fans or those who are track and field fans or springboard diving fans that we watch at the Olympics. And we watch these sprinters run, right? And they get up there and in nine seconds, they go, they go 100 yards in nine seconds. And they are straining with every muscle, constantly going, every muscle straining to get to the finish line. That's the picture that is in mind here. To, to love someone the way Christ has loved us means that you're going to have to strain every muscle in your body to get to that point. Every spiritual muscle will need to be flexed constantly and continually over and over and over again. It's outstretched. It's energetic. It's not sentimental reaction. It demands everything of a man of mental and spiritual energy to show this kind of love that was shown upon you. As we stretch out our love towards those who are unlovely. Because like Luke said, hey, it's easy to love those who love you, right? I mean, hey, hey, those are the easy ones to love. But the ones who are hard to love, we don't get to give somebody the royal Heisman and just push them off because they are hard to love. No, we have to stretch our spiritual muscles fervently continually, consistently, over and over and over again to love those who are hard to love. Because that's what sets us apart. Number three is this. Not only is it first, not only is it fervent, but the text also tells us this, that it's also forgiving. It's also forgiving. Look what it says. It says, above all things, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. He first gives us our responsibility, and now he gives us the reason. And the reason why we're to love like this is because we need to be able to forgive one another. We need to be able to forgive one another. We constantly stretch out our love to show the attribute of Christ in our life, which is to forgive one another to cover a multitude of sins. And if you're going to love like Christ loved, then what? Then listen, it demands forgiveness. You cannot love without being able to forgive one another. You can't be in any healthy relationship without being able to forgive one another. Whether it's a marriage relationship, whether it's with your neighbors or your friends, at the workplace, to be able to show this kind of love, you must be able to forgive one another. And that's what it says. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. When we are lavishing our love on to one another and we're, we're practicing the love that Christ loved us with, we're able to look over the offenses of another person. We're able to smother them, forgive them. Proverbs ten twelve says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. James 5.20 says this, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Church historian and commentator F.F. F. Bruce says this, 
Love covers unworthy things rather than bringing them to the light and magnifying them. It puts up with everything. It is always eager to believe the best in and to put the most favorable construction on ambiguous actions. Wayne Grudem says it like this, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. So what does Peter want us to do? Peter wants us to cover. He wants us to cover. And the idea of this verse is that love covers, a, covers so as not to harshly condemn or expose faults, but to, for, but to forbear, to bear under the burdens of others. You're forgiving and forgetting past offenses. We can't misunderstand what Peter is saying here. He's not advocating that our love condones sin or our love approves sin or that we never confront sin. But he's saying rather that we're able to, at times, be able to say, you know what, I can just cover that in love. And if I can't cover that in love, then I need to go say something. I can cover that offense in love. But if you're unable to, to cover it in love, then you go and you confront it with a heart of restoration, with a heart of love, with a heart of forgiveness. Ready to forgive. And in a church, this has to be the heartbeat of who we are. With so many people, with so many sins, we have to be able to lovingly cover a multitude of sins. There was an interaction that Jesus had. Think about this with me. There's an interaction that Jesus had with a man. That man came up to Jesus and said this, Jesus, how often, will, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Jesus said, I say to you this, not seven times, but 70 times seven. You know who that man was that said that? Give you one guess. Peter. You think Peter understood what forgiveness was? He asked Jesus. He literally asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive? And he thought, you know, I'm going to aim high. Seven. I mean, I'm aiming high here. I mean, not like two or three. Peter's probably like, I can probably get to five. But I'm just going to go. I'm going to add a couple extra. I'm going to say seven times. Jesus says to him, not seven times, 70 times, seven times. What does that mean? Always, continually, over and over and over again. This is what love does. This is what love is. It's a continual over and over and over again, forgiving those who have hurt you. And you say, where does that come from? It comes from the love of Jesus Christ in your life. Over and over and over again, what does Jesus do? He forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives over and over and again. Not once will he ever not forgive you. 
Not once. Seventy times seven. Nonstop. I think Peter understood the depths of forgiveness. I think Peter understood the depths of forgiveness, not just from that question, but another example is this. When Peter was out by the fireplace with a lady, with a young lady who came up to him and he said to him, hey, I know you, I recognize you, you're with Jesus. And Peter said to him, I'd rather die than you tell me I'm with Jesus. And you know who was looking at him? Jesus. You know who looked Peter in the eye? Jesus. You know one of the last conversation Peter had with Jesus? You want to know the questions? The three questions that were given to Peter from Jesus, the three questions were this, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter got it when it came to forgiveness. Peter understood that forgiveness is hard and the questions should not have come from Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The questions should have came from Peter to Jesus. Jesus, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He never once asked that question. Why? Because he knew Jesus loved him. He knew he was forgiven. And he comes here and he says to the church, church, keep loving one another and cover a multitude of sins. When the church acts like this, they act like God. When the church behaves like this, they behave like God. As Peter understood this from personal example, he couldn't for a while there grasp the depth of it. He just had to ask, how is this possible? Peter understands that people are hard. Peter understands that we're prone to want to to abandon the one that we love. Peter understands all those things. He also understands forgiveness and the need that he had in his own life and the need that we have to forgive others around us. I want to show you something in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to look, I want all of our eyes on verse 17, and I'm just going to walk you through this, the rest of this chapter as we understand this last part of forgiveness here. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17, he's, Paul is talking to this church in, in Ephesus about unity and the body of Christ, he's, then he talks about the newness of life here in verse 17. He says, I say, now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he's describing, listen, he's describing the unbeliever here, okay? Keep this in mind. He's describing the unbeliever. He's saying, don't, don't walk like the unbeliever. Here, verse 18, why? They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're callous. They've been given up to sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that's not what you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard them and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupted through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on a new self, created in the likeness of God, and in the righteousness and holiness. Therefore, 
Now he's describing the believer. Okay, that was the unbeliever. Here's the believer. Here's your part. Okay, here's your part, Christian. Listen in. This is your part. Therefore, putting away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We're members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such what is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that I may give grace to those who, those who hear. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, what? Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to, to, to forgive one another? What is the basis of this forgiveness? Well, he tells us, forgive one another. Why? As God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the foundation by which we forgive. If we want to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ, then we must find it in our hearts to be able to forgive. This is how the Christian acts. It goes on. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5 and verse 1. He says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and then what? And walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. You're never, more like, you're never more like God. Listen, you're never more like God than when you are able to pardon and forgive another person. And the way to imitate God then is to be a forgiving person. The way to act like God is to be a forgiving person. The way to walk in love is to be a forgiving person. And if you're going to look like Christ, if you're going to act like Christ, if you're going to be, behave like Christ, then you're going to have to be a very forgiving person. Because this is what and who Christ is. This is how we become like Christ. So when you get into that next argument, the next time you get criticized publicly, the next time you get marginalized in a conversation, the next time you get talked down to, the next time you get offended, and you will get offended again, you will get talked down to again, you will be criticized again in your life, you will be hurt sometime by somebody. Remember what Christ has done for you. You say, Joe, what are you saying? What's the point of all of this? This is the point of all of this. You ready? This is the point of all of this. In the midst of all the hurt and the pain that you're in, make a beeline back to the gospel. Go back to Christ. Go back to the cross. And remember the love and forgiveness that was shown for you there. Because it's at the cross where we find grace. It's in the gospel that we find hope. We look to Jesus and we're reminded of this, that I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't know why my sins were forgiven. I had nothing good to offer Jesus Christ and say, hey, that, that guy looks like a good one. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that one. No, I had nothing. I had nothing to offer him. Nothing. The only thing, actually, I take that back. I had one thing to offer God for the forgiveness of sin, and that was my sin. That was it. And Jesus said, you're forgiven. 
And I know this, church. Hear my heart. This is not easy. And I'm not trying to make it sound easy, and I'm not trying to undermine the pain that you have felt from those who have hurt you before. I'm, I'm, I'm really not. But what I am doing is encouraging you to get your eyes on the cross, get your eyes on what Christ has done for you in the forgiveness of sin, and to encourage you to say within your heart, I've been forgiven. I need to rethink this place in my heart that I have not forgiven somewhere else, someone else. And to see to it that, hey, I have done, I've pursued everybody in love, I've pursued everybody so that my heart can be released from this. Whether that person accepts it or not, whether somebody else has offended you or not, you do your part because you understand what Christ has done for you. You understand that there's grace at the cross. And maybe we pull in one another to encourage each other in these things. Maybe you pull in a pastor. Maybe you pull in an elder. And you help, you seek help in these things. Because this is what the family of God does. We shoulder these burdens together. We carry these things together as the family of God. We're not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to just drop a bomb and say, okay, have a great week, everybody. No, we carry these things together throughout the week and we love one another through them. And we share these burdens together. That's the family of God. And so to be like God is to be forgiving. To be like God is to be loving. And Peter understood this and so he encourages the church. Look at it again. Let's just read the whole verse. Verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Next week, we'll look at hospitality and what it means to be hospitable without complaining, because that's what it says. I know, I know. I didn't, I'm not making this up, just, just, just to be clear. Our Heavenly Father, how is it even possible that you would choose to forgive us, to show your love upon us? Are there really any words that we can sing, say, or any song that we can sing that can adequately express our gratitude to you for that? Thank you, Lord, that you've instituted for us the ordinance of communion to remind us of that. Your body dying on the cross, blood that was shed, symbolizing the death. But you did not remain dead. You rose from the grave, and three days later, you conquered death. And because you live, we can now live with you forever. And we just say thank you. Lord, I pray that the gospel, that message right there, the transformation of the heart, that we just prayed about, that we just watched on display in communion, that we taught about, like all of that, Lord, would motivate us to be able to forgive and love one another. Give us the grace that we need. Give us the courage that we need. Give us the boldness that we need to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.